Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt, and I'm a board-certified integrative and functional nutritionist. I live on the seacoast of New Hampshire and work with clients in my virtual practice all over the world through private consultations and online nutrition and functional medicine programs. Functional medicine nutrition is all about diving deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. And that's exactly what I tackle in this podcast. All things health, food, and nutrition. Unpacking current research and almost a decade of clinical experience. I love to bring experts and thought leaders to the table so we can all learn together. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive in. All right, guys, welcome back. I am over the moon excited about today's guest. I've been following Erin Telford for years on social media. In this fall, I joined her Sacred Terrain Breathwork course. It's been nothing short of incredible. Um, I went in with zero expectations, which is probably a good thing. I was like, I don't know what this is going to be about. <laughs> but it's just like completely blown my mind. Um, and as you guys know, I've been under a tremendous amount of stress and just a really, really high workload. And this is usually when my autoimmune symptoms will flare up. And I've been feeling the best physically consistently over the past um, couple of months. Um, and I just think it has a lot to do with the work that I'm doing with Erin. So we'll definitely get into all of that on today's show. But first, let me introduce you, you guys to her uh, for those who aren't familiar. Erin Telford is a breathwork facilitator and healer, acupuncturist, Reiki master, herbalist, and a teacher of David Elliott's level one breathwork healer training. Her work guides people to look within, open their hearts, and heal their relationship with themselves. Her group sessions, trainings, and retreats empower her clients to connect to their innate wisdom so that they can find the answers they are looking for. So Erin, thank you so much for being here. I'm so pumped to have you on the show and welcome. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. This is wonderful. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, so I know that you had an acupuncture practice, a clinic in New York City. Yes. And I'd love to hear more about what made you switch gears and focus more. I know you weave a lot into what you do, mm -hmm. um, but what made you switch gears so breathwork was your primary healing modality? So a couple of different reasons, and I, I love this question. Um, so I was an acupuncture. I mean, I'm still a licensed acupuncturist, but I did stop um, practicing maybe for good, maybe temporarily. I'm not sure. You know, I'm just meeting my life as it comes and seeing what's asked of me. But when I discovered breathwork, I, I started my acupuncture practice in 2010 and then discovered breathwork in 2014. And for those four years of practice, you know, when you're getting started, you pretty much treat and everything and anything that comes through your door, you're getting experience and gaining practice and understanding of seeing patterns. And what I was finding that as I was seeing clients that I, I really started to gravitate towards the emotional mental health side of things. I was much more interested and much more proficient and just like naturally um, inclined to work with people's um, depression and anxiety and insecurities and self-worth and self-love. 
and really all the like the modern manifestations of you know relational trauma and developmental trauma and all the traumas and I just I just was was moving into that space and less inclined to work on like digestion or you know shoulder pain or um you know, all, all the like sports medicine, that type of thing. I wanted to work with people's emotions primarily and see what I could do to help people in that area. And so when I discovered breath work, what I found was, is that what I could do in, you know, 15 to 30 acupuncture sessions, I could do in just a couple of breath work sessions. And not only could I do it in a shorter period of time, but I started to see the difference between passive healing and active healing and how that impacted a person and their, um, their experience and their identity of themselves. So I love acupuncture. I receive acupuncture. I love Chinese medicine, but I was witnessing that there's a lot of different healing modalities where you, you make an appointment, you come in, somebody does something to you. And you don't, maybe you understand a little bit of what it's about. Maybe you're kind of curious, you ask some questions, um, but you don't really, you know, in order to truly understand acupuncture, you you kind of need to have the full education. <laughs> you know, you kind of needed to like go to school to understand pulse and tongue and patterns and deficiencies and all those things. Um, but to receive an acupuncture treatment, you don't really need to know anything. You can have a general idea you can have a general idea of some of the points someone's using or what, what's being treated, um, what the herbs you're taking are for. But primarily you go, you have something done to you, you come out feeling better and you know you feel a little bit more energized, maybe you got a good rest and you feel healthier. But it's something that's still being done to you and something that's coming to you through that other person, that practitioner, that doctor, that um, facilitator. And I got to see with breathwork that when someone came in for a breathwork session, they were the one who were, they were doing all the work. They were coming in, they got the physical, palpable, visceral sensation of, I produced this sensation in my body. I connected to my intuition. I connected to spirit. I opened my heart. I did this. She didn't do anything to me. She held space for me. She made the, you know, she created a sacred container for whatever needed to happen to happen. But like, I did that. I made that happen in my body. And I think that we have like subcontracted and outsourced our power, our intuition, our inner knowing, our trust in our bodies and ourselves and our feelings and our emotions and our inclinations to other people. It's a cultural kind of like dynamic where we look outside ourselves and we look to others to tell us what we feel, what's right, what's best for us. And with the process and practice of breath work, you get to self heal and you get to create healing sensations in your body and you get to access. It's a straight shot to your intuition. It's a straight shot to your heart. It's a straight shot to your inner knowing. And like all those answered answers being inside you, and I just feel like at this point in our culture, at this point in our evolution as a human family, that being able to trust ourselves, know ourselves, understand our energy and know what our needs are is something that we all need more of. And so to create that space for people to really be able to know themselves and understand themselves themselves. 
um, felt like something that I needed to offer more than um, just a slight lift in energy and, you know, maybe an easier time having a sandwich. So it's <laughs> kind of the, the long story. Um, and again, I never want to disparage acupuncture. I never want to disparage that medicine at all. But um, what I felt like I wanted to offer to the world changed. And so I wanted to give people um, an opportunity to be empowered within their own bodies rather than just receiving something from me and having me tinker with their energy. I wanted them to feel that feeling of being able to move their own energy in their own body by themselves. I That is so awesome. And um, I just... It's definitely how the the medicine is received for sure, because it really is like, I'm doing everything here. Yeah. You know, you have an awesome playlist and you're setting the pace and then I'm just having this like crazy experience on my own. Yeah. Um, and you're working. Awesome. And I'm working hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's something that I try to, con I mean, I think any healing modality and any practitioner, um, you know, you could say the same thing. I work with, I work with, uh, women and men in my nutrition practice. And I feel like sometimes people are feeling great. We've kind of like got through the stuff, you know, why they need to outsource to me is to like analyze labs and, you know, look at the nitty gritty and pull, pull things together and figure out the puzzle piece. But it's really, I try to convey to them, like, you're the one doing the work. Like you're the one changing habits. You're the one tweaking your diet. You're the one that has to take the supplements. You're the one that has to really do everything. And I think sometimes when people start to feel better, they almost feel like they're afraid to leave me because they're like, yeah, but I got better with you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you did this. Yes. You did the work. Like you are good. Go spread your wings. You can leave the nest, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, but we, be, but I think we're so culturally conditioned to, to be programmed to be like, I need to continue to seek the answers outside of myself. Right. And, and it's, it's, we have to just blow that up. So I, I love I love everything you just said. Maybe we should take a, a step back and um, start with the basics because I, I don't think everybody necessarily knows what breath work is. Right. And I'm sure people hear breath work and think maybe the deep breathing they do in yoga class or like some pranayama exercises, but what you teach is quite different. So let's talk about that. <laughs> what is it? Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's, I think that breath work is definitely gaining in popularity, uh, right now, which I think is incredible. I'm always happy when something that is so beneficial and helpful for people becomes trendy, you know, I'm all for it. And, you know, there's so many different types of breath work. The first time I ever did breath work, I just assumed we were going to do the same type of pranayama practices that I would do in any standard yoga class, you know, alternate nostril breathing or, you know, holding your breath at the top of the inhale or the exhale. And so there's, there's kind of two different schools of breath work. And, um, one is more to, uh, to calm and soothe and center and, uh, to help you uh, calm your nervous system and calm anxiety and come back to yourself to ground and the breath work that I practice is more to um, actually activate your uh, sympathetic nervous system. So activating um, the fight or flight response in a sacred safe container so that you can start to somatically release some of the charge in your nervous system of repressed emotions, of trauma, of grief, loss, rage frustration, resentment, um, 
boundary violations, you know, any and all of the things that have caused us heartache and difficulty and challenge in our lives that are stored in our emotional body and in our nervous system. So the breathwork that I practice is meant to stir the pot in a way. So allow you to create a, a charge in your body to get your energy moving, to strongly move stuck emotional energy um, for the purpose of releasing emotions so that you can vent them out of the body and be able to offload some of the pain that's been accumulated over your lifetime. So this concept of storing stuff in our emotional body and our nervous system, um, I'd love to talk more about that. What, what I, I would say the works of Donna Jackson Nakazawa, um, she does a lot with ACE, you know, with uh, yeah. adverse childhood exper experiences, um, linking childhood trauma to autoimmune disease specifically, but, and then also Gabor Matei, yes. um, who links, I mean, he's just the best, I love him. Uh, right. Unprocessed emotion to chronic illness. And it really changed the way that I viewed my own stuff, my own autoimmunity, mm. my own symptoms. Um, just really thinking about how our life experiences inform our biology. And I don't know if this is an, uh, a concept that's, you know, on everybody's radar. I would love for you to talk more about how we hold emotion in our body. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, for a long time, I really didn't, I wasn't interested in the science behind things because it was more of an intuitive knowing and myself as like the ultimate test subject for my own life and, and my own breathwork practice. So I only recently, and Gabor Mate is so inspiring and I just, I think I just appreciate his work so much. He, he was really the one that kind of catalyzed me into being able to understand a little bit more of the actual science behind it. Um, but I, I don't have a, a, let's see, I don't have a lot of, of, uh, I guess case studies or specific, um, facts around that other than that, you know, 95% of our trauma and our subconscious programming is locked into the nervous system. It is stored in the nervous system. And I think that many people think because their brain is the one that's running the loops and their brain is the one that is, um, creating the, you know, self-critical thoughts or playing the, the movie of, of shame and disappointment and trauma that the mind is the one that's kind of running the show. Um, but as we, as we drop into the body, we're able to really access all that, the storage, the storage of our, of our life's challenges and our, um, life suppress suppression and all of the things that happened to us that were painful and scary and disappointing and unresolved. You know, we have a, we have a nervous system response to losing a parent, to getting hospitalized, to, um, getting made fun of on the playground, to getting rejected or our first heartache. We have nervous system responses to everything in our, in our lives. And when they're not completed, when they're not resolved, when they're, they don't have a, an outcome that inspires us to feel more safe within or more powerful and capable of meeting the challenges of our life, um, we get, a, we have like an unresolved, um, trigger essentially. So I think part of the understanding of the nervous system 
kind of comes in through the uh, the programming that we receive and the conditioning we receive from that like prenatal um, uh, womb space all the way up until we're seven years old. We're in this kind of um, theta theta brainwave state where we are essentially being programmed by everyone around us, um, our parents, our friends, the people in our lives, um, the people at school, all the institutions, all the groups that we're a part of. We're in this kind of hypnotic state, like the theta brainwave state is a state of hypnosis. So everything that we're receiving, everything that we're learning, everything that we're taking in is creating the world as we know it and who we're allowed to be what we're allowed to think, what we're allowed to feel, what the world is like, who we are in it, and how much we're allowed to grow. So our first traumas, you know, whether they're, you know, we, um, mm, you know, we, we need something. Let's say you're like a five-year-old child and your parents are fighting, at, but you need, um, you need to go to the bathroom and you need some help and you go up to your parents and you, you, you know, maybe grab their pant leg and indicate that you need, you need to use the restroom and maybe you get, uh, maybe you get slapped in the face. Maybe you get yelled at, maybe you get ignored. There's a wide variety of things that can happen that are not necessarily like this. Um, you know, I think again, our, our, our understanding of trauma is also unfolding where we are starting to see and starting to recognize that trauma is not necessarily like being locked in the basement and beaten. You know, your, your trauma can be rejection. Your trauma can be neglect. Your trauma can be, um, being a sensitive child and being really afraid of yelling, even if it's not violent, even if it's not, you know, the police aren't called that your interpretation and the way that your body receives yelling and fighting in your household can be extremely traumatic and be received just as big as, um, you know, domestic violence in your, in your nervous system and your little child body. So we're recording, we're recording our perceptions of life and how the world works in our little child body, which become patterns and ways that we operate and coping mechanisms that we have when we become adults. So it feels like a really roundabout way of answering the question, but, um, you know, I, I think that we just, for all of us, we, we learn these things and we interpret things as kids. And then unless we do the work to examine why we're activated, why we're triggered, why we're attracting the types of relationships that we are, why we have the fears of speaking up or taking up space, why we think things like I'm too much or not enough until we start to kind of unpack and break down some of those things that we have been programmed and conditioned to believe about ourselves and who other people are, then they, then they stay trapped. And I feel like it's not just the logical breakdown either, because um, a few a few years ago I went to therapy. My my husband and mother in law were like, "What what about therapy for you? Would that be a good idea?" I'm like, oh, is it is it is it obvious? Um, but she kept, and I could like talk and and rationalize my way through everything. Uh -huh. And she kept telling me, 
I really think you need somatic release work. And I, I didn't mm. know, really understand. She, she didn't do that. And I didn't understand what that was or what that looked like or a local facilitator. So I just kind of put it out of my head. But then when I was, as I've been doing this breath work, I'm like, oh, this is what she was talking about. Yeah. Like I have, I can like explain a lot of stuff of why I am the way I am. And this happened and this, and I can logically look at it. I think a lot of us can, but that doesn't really do a whole lot for the stuff that I'm holding on to in my body. And the first session that I did with you, I was like sobbing. And I, I mean, I barely breathed because I was crying so much. And I remember being like, is this normal? And you had said there's a lifetime of sadness in your body that might need to come out. So yeah, yeah, that's normal. And it's just like, where was it even coming from? And you, you know, like, where did it come from? And then there's some times where um, you'll have us yell out. Um, and I was in my, I do it in my attic. I have like my office, my whole space in my attic. And normally I'll yell into a pillow and this time I didn't. And my husband and daughter were downstairs and I guess my daughter was like, what is mommy doing up there? (laughs) And my husband was like, I don't know, but it doesn't sound relaxing. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not relaxing until the end. It's really relaxing at the end. Yeah. You get a good payoff. Totally. You get this whole experience, this like really deep release. Even when I'm like going into it, like I have nothing to release today. Something gets uncovered and released. And then I feel this huge sense of relaxation towards the end. So it's like, I don't know. It's just pretty wild. I mean, I think that, you know, for those of us that had, you know, there's many people that had like um, a reasonable, quote unquote, reasonable childhood, right? Like, you may not have been able to pick out any, um, any big, big whammies, like anything, you know? And and I think sometimes that's can be the most damaging because you can diminish and minimize what your actual experience was like, because you, you aren't able to say, Oh, there was that one time that, or, you know, maybe, you know, the story is, well, I didn't have any, addiction in my family. You know, my parents were really loving. My parents were really kind. Like we had a good family. I had a good childhood, but there's, you know, the, the intellectual understanding of, of things doesn't really, it doesn't minimize any pain that was accumulated. And I think for a lot of people that are doing this work now that are attracted to breath work and just people who are attracted to looking inside and really investigating what is, what they have been holding within, there's a lot of, you know, most children start out really sensitive and then it's, it's kind of conditioned out of them. But for all the really sensitive people, and even for the people that don't identify as sensitive, it doesn't take a lot to hurt you as a child. And there's so much that's communicated through body language and through, um, even through like bids for attention, right? Like, mom, 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 I want to show you this, this picture I I colored at school today. And and mom's like, I can't look at that right now, you know, or, or there's some kind of a turning away. There's some kind of rejection of some sort that can create in that moment, a feeling of when I'm boisterous, energetic, and happy, it's annoying for people. Like it's one instance of that is enough for you to form the conditioning in your life that says, I'm too much. I'm too big. I'm taking up too much space. I'm not loved when I'm like this. And then as adults, you shrink, you stay quiet. You're afraid to write a blog post. You're afraid to raise your hand when you have a question. You don't speak up for your needs and relationships because you don't want to be annoying. 
and that collects more and more pain around that specific um, you know, conditioned limiting belief that you create in your body when you're five or six years old. So it's not just the childhood, it's the way that the pattern impacts the entire rest of your life and how you live and behave in the world. So it has such far-reaching effects. You had mentioned um, being sensitive, and I'm sure that we have plenty of empaths listening to the show. Um, I would love for you to talk about this. One one really big thing that you said that caught my attention um, in one of our sessions was, and I don't know if I'm using your exact terminology, but it was something like this idea of being the designated feeler for yeah. your family. Um, I've had people tell me that my, a lot of my f- physical symptoms are because I'm processing other people's emotions and energy in my body. And I'm like, well, uh, that sucks. I'd, <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather not. Um, no, thank you. <laughs> but when you said that, I was like, oh my God. And I feel like so many people need to hear this. Yeah. I mean, it's really intense when you think about it. Um, because I think, yeah, if you're, Um, If you identify as being an empath, and I guess we could just loosely define that by um, being a person who is able to feel the the feelings of other people around them, who's able to energetically and emotionally tune into feeling other people's emotional states or to be able to feel when you walk into a room, if there's been um, tension or anxiety or to, you know, feel into a group. Maybe you're the the one who's, um, taking breaks and hiding in the bathroom at Thanksgiving because you can feel like the brewing discomfort in the room. Um, so I, I really, I think that probably most people on earth are, are, and kids like the coming generations, the new, the new kids are all even more sensitized and even more, um, you know, heightened in their abilities and their intuition than I think that previous generations were. So, you know, in my, in my family, there was a lot of, there was depression, there was anxiety, there was some addiction. Um, there was definitely like, you know, the, uh, kind of, uh, there was some despair, um, some threats of like a dissolving marriage and some unhappiness and disappointment. There was a lot of, you know, swirling feelings And they weren't, um, like my parents never fought in front of us, but there was kind of, um, a quiet, uh, quiet dissatisfaction and kind of an underlying resentment that was present that, you know, no one was talking about it. I, like I said, I can't remember my parents ever yelling at each other, but there was a, a lot of feelings swirling around that were not spoken about or addressed really. There was a little bit of like, my mom was, um, I love my mom so much. I just have to say that to preface it, but she was a very emotionally erratic person. She was very dramatic and had a lot of big emotions, which created lack of space for anyone else to really have any of them. And quiet was like her, her peace. So, you know, she got to have like a lot of noise and a lot of expression, but then nobody else was really allowed to have that because when she was done expressing, everybody needed to be quiet so that she could stay level. And so all those things together combined to create um, an environment where I was just picking up on the energetics of what was not said and what was being felt but not expressed. 
And that was just being pushed through my body and being run through my body because I was very aware of it and without any tools to be able to manage it, understand it, differentiate myself from the other feelings. Um, I would get really overwhelmed and I would get like emotionally, uh, labile. Like I would, I would cry for like, quote unquote, no reason. I would feel, um, like I was coming undone. I would feel just, um, yeah, coming undone is probably the best word. Like often, uh, I couldn't keep it together. I couldn't keep my tears inside and I didn't really understand why I was feeling sad, but I was just kind of when those tears would come through, I would be like offloading the frustration and the grief of the feelings that were being pushed through my body. And I also kind of learned early, which I think many empaths do, that, you know, one of the best ways to understand and feel and get close to somebody to be really intimate with them is to feel their feelings for them, to like run their energy through your body. And that was just kind of an autopilot thing that I did. And it made me feel like if I can feel their feelings, I can understand them. Um, I can maybe help if I help them feel their feelings, then maybe they'll be more available for me. Like if I manage their feelings for them, then maybe they'll be able to have time and space to like love me and give me attention if they're not so consumed by this. So it became a very kind of destructive, um, codependent pattern to run people's energy through my body. And I didn't even know I was doing it until I was probably, Oh God, like probably like early thirties or something. I wasn't actually aware that I was doing it because it'd become so intimate and familiar. And for those kids, you know, you hear about these five-year-olds having migraines or stomach aches every day or various, you know, physical maladies and stuff. And, you know, I think that that's really conditional on, on running, you know, families, anxiety and suppressed emotions through their bodies. Like five-year-olds really, there's not a lot of reasons five-year-olds need to be having migraines, but a lot of that, like digestive issues, um, and flares like that can really begin from just processing more than the food that you're eating for the family. Yeah. You were talking about, I've always had digestive issues like belly aches since a little Yeah. And when you said that, I was like, oh, damn. Yeah, totally. And it's also to have a to have a stomachache is like you can point to it and you can be like, mom, mom or dad, like my stomach hurts. I'm hurting. I'm hurting. Something's wrong with me. Whereas you don't have the vocabulary or the tools or the knowing to say, I'm, I'm holding, you know, <laughs> six people's anxiety in my belly right now. And it's really uncomfortable and I don't know what to do with it. It's just like a stomach ache is like an actual physical thing you can point to where you can get some attention and some help, even though it's not actually going to fix the problem, but you're going to get, you're going to get some of your needs met by getting some attention and some focus on you. And I think it's just more culturally acceptable to talk about physical ailments versus emotional ailments. Yes. You know, um, one thing that I read on your website when I was grabbing your bio was, um, you mentioned the destigmatizing emotions and the human experience. And I mean, that is like exactly what we're doing in sacred train, everything you talk about. And I, I love it so much because emotions really are part of the human experience and I'm getting really really increasingly frustrated with this whole good vibes only culture (laughs) yeah you know like if I go into another yoga studio and see that sign hanging on the wall I'm gonna like shoot it down with my bad vibes yeah (laughs) 
I'm going to take my bad vibes and just knock it off just the wall. Just melt it. <laughs> but it just reinforces the message that feeling bad isn't okay. I saw something on Instagram and it was like the hierarchy of emotions or something like this. And it just, all of this stuff, it's like any of like the low vibe emotions are considered bad. Right. You know, and it's like, it's actually not the truth. Um, no. I have, Like I said, I, I have a daughter. She's five. And so the past five years, I've just watched people being very uncomfortable with her public displays of emotion. So it becomes, oh, stop crying, stop crying. Anything to get the kid to stop crying, right? Stop crying, stop crying. Oh, no, 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 don't cry. It's okay, it's okay, everything's fine. And I'm like, well, everything's not fine in her world. Let her cry, let her rage it out, let her experience what she's experienced. Like, just because you're uncomfortable with her emotions doesn't mean you need to project her discomfort, your discomfort onto her. Right. And it's just been really interesting to see it through, you know, as a parent, because it's harder to to witness it in your own self. But, you know, what you were talking about of just like this feeling of, of being too much. I've, I've always been a very fiery, I have a lot of anger, and I've always been told, like, you got to be less angry, you got to dial it down. And I just kind of want to be like, I'm all set with that now. Like my anger is a catalyst. My anger gets shit done. My anger yeah. arises when I have to make some like real power moves. I'm cool with my anger. And I'm sorry that you're not, but I'm not willing to change that. Um, and I really think it plays into this whole idea of spiritual bypassing where we're just trying to like love and light our way through our lives so we don't actually have to sit with what we're feeling, right? Yeah. Because sitting with ourselves and sitting with our mixed bag of emotions feels hard and it feels scary, especially when we've been told our whole lives that our emotions are not valid or we shouldn't be experiencing experiencing them. Mm-hmm. And I have like a quite a few clients who have told me I can't sit still. I can't meditate. Mm. I I don't like to, I like to be busy. I like to go, go, go. I don't like to do yoga. It's too slow. And I just think culturally we're really having a hard time sitting with ourselves. And I would love to hear you talk about some, like, how do we get over this? Like if, if, if somebody on the other end of this is hearing that and like, yeah, that's me. Like, how do we move through this? I mean, there's, I wish that there was like an easy answer, like five steps to being able to be with yourself alone and not have it oh, be you terrible. Don't have that, you don't have that, that blog post. Let me, let me pull it up on my computer. Um, you Is know. there a supplement for that? Is there an oil for that? <laughs> Shit. You were gonna... No hacks, my friends. Zero <laughs> hacks for that. Um, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, that's, that's really, that is, I mean, I, 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 with this work, it's like, I, I was just, I repeated a, a training um, with my teacher, David Elliott, just a, about a week ago. And um, there was one morning, I, I recently reconnected with this wonderful friend of mine that we were friends like in our 20s when we both used to like drink a lot and go out to clubs. And we've refound each other in this. The glory you know, days. Total glory days. So we've refound each other as like do, both doing healing work in our 40s. And we were, there was one morning when we we're in the car and, um, you know, on the way and he's like, I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm so resistant right now. And I was like, me too. This is the last place I want to go today. And we both just like did the scream in the car. Like we just did the primal scream in the car and had a total fit and a total temper tantrum. And I'm just saying that because, you know, I'm someone who teaches this work, offers this work, believes in this work. And there are still some times where I'm like, I don't want to 
effing deal with this. I don't want to. It's too hard. It's too painful. I don't want to have the conversation. I don't want to have the talk. I don't want to feel this. It's just like, it's, it, it feels dangerous. It feels scary and it feels really challenging and, and you just do it anyway, you know? And I think for most people, you don't, you know, most of us don't change until we are so pushed to our limit when things are, are so either we get so sick or we're, you know, our bodies are, are breaking down or our spirits are breaking down, or we look around at the life that we've created and we're like, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I thought it was supposed to be like. I know that there can be more, but we usually have to have some kind of a breaking point in order to be able to really do the grimy, grindy hard work of dealing with everything that we've been avoiding our whole lives. So I, you know, for the people who can't sit still, who don't want to slow down, um, and who have a hard time meditating, I think that they probably have a felt sense, a subconscious feeling that if they were to slow down and if they were to sit still, and if they were to give themselves an opportunity to be with themselves, that there would be some wildly uncomfortable things that would come up very quickly. And, you know, my, my kind of number one rule always with this work, you know, with every time we do breath work, every time we, we, you know, make some kind of tender effort to go within is self-compassion. You know, we all have to learn how to hold ourselves through really hard things and really difficult to feel feelings with love and learn how to reparent ourselves and help our own selves feel safe to be in our bodies and with our emotions without criticism and judgment. So I think that this is available for everybody to do it. And, you know, you come to whatever version of it, whatever healing modality, whatever thing um, in your own time and in your own space when you feel ready, when you feel comfortable. And, you know, my, my wish is that everybody has, um, you know, a, a healer, a leader, a friend, someone in their lives that can kind of bring them along if it's something that they're interested in doing to be able to just in a very introductory way, begin to create a new relationship with themselves in whatever way feels right. Um, I, I guess I could throw out my seven minute, you know, guided breathwork video as like a beginning introductory kind of thing. But, you know, more than anything, I feel like it's, it's got to be, um, you know, when you're ready, you're ready. When you're willing, you're willing. And when you've had enough, you've had enough. And that's, usually when you will dig in a little deeper than what you or try something new other than what you've been doing so far. Yeah, I think that's pretty spot on. You kind of have to wait till it gets bad before you're like, yeah. all right, I'm willing to try something new, right? Yeah. I mean, I tried everything not to feel. I tried everything. I had a raging eating disorder for over a decade. I abused alcohol. I abused drugs. Anything I could do to numb, I did. Yeah. And then eventually I just had to go in. Yeah. Um, and even though it's hard over here, it's it's a lot better in my in my estimation. It's it's an easier life. 
in some ways. Yeah. I, I mean, same. I've definitely shared that about abusing drugs and alcohol and, you know, sugar for me and, um, technology, television, um, even codependency, like really getting tied into other people's drama and problems to avoid my own. Um, there's so many socially sanctioned ways that we have to check out and numb out and not deal with things. And even kind of disassociating, I don't think I was even really fully in my body because it was too scary to actually be all the way in it. And I thought the depth of pain would be too much to handle if I was fully in my body all the way. And that didn't even happen until probably about like four years ago. I was always kind of hovering on the outside and so, yeah, I think that it's, it's usually just like the critical mass that, um, that provokes people into doing new things. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, the reality of it is also is that once I started, you know, once I found breath work, I started digging in, in a way that was a deeper way than I ever had before, because I'd done like 50 million other things before I found breath work. <laughs> and, um, you know, those first, I would say those first probably four or five years, you know, life just kept getting better and better. And I kept on experiencing more, you know, more harmony, more peace, more joy in my body, more, um, more self-love, more self-acceptance. But I mean, it's a long ass road. Like you, you go through, like once you begin that part, I think that's the, I mean, breathwork thankfully has like some blissful, pretty big payoffs, like within each session, most of the time. Um, but yeah, when you're digging into your conditioning and your programming and really letting yourself feel all the things that have been pushed aside for probably your whole life, it's not easy. It's not easy. So I no, think it like, it's like layer after layer. Yeah. After. I'm like, I thought I already dealt with this though. Yeah. Why, what? <laughs> no what's up? What's <laughs> happening? It's still here. Yeah. And there's like, there can be like 80 million layers to one core wound, you know, I just, yeah, I've been working on something like with my, with my dad for the last, well, my whole life. And then I just got another puzzle piece like two weeks ago and I was like, what is this? You know, where'd that come from? Good to know. Good. Yeah. Noted. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I feel like when when you're doing a breathwork session, though, it gets you, it's different than meditate. Well, I mean, there's so many ways to meditate, so that's probably not a, I don't know, it's not a great thing to say, but it's it puts you almost into like an alternate state, yeah. an alternative state where you're like, I don't know, we've, we had a buddy who like went, went somewhere and did ayahuasca and the way he describes it, I'm like, I think... I think this is maybe the closest I'm going to get to ayahuasca. I'm too much of a control freak to do any, any <laughs> type of like hallucinogenics. I, I just can't. I just can't. But I'm like, maybe this is like sort of what, I don't know. No, but I think you're that's just like you're out there. You're somewhere yeah. else. And then these memories kind of come flooding back to you and you're like, oh, you're like figuring out puzzle pieces. It's yes. pretty wild. It is. It is very, I mean, I have not, I've done plenty of psychedelics. I've never done ayahuasca, but um, since that's kind of like, the, the trendy thing right now. Um, many, 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 many people compare breathwork to a short ayahuasca journey. Absolutely. It's a very common comparison and it is, it is very similar to what happens with psychedelics because the executive function of your brain goes offline. And so you are able to have the different parts of your brain that don't normally talk to each other, talk to each other. 
And so that can definitely be responsible for some of that, like connecting of the dots on patterns and things that have like eluded you for your whole life. And you do go into a state of altered consciousness, which is one of the best spaces because it's more fluid, it's more malleable to actually rewire and recondition and reprogram yourself because you're in a liminal space where anything can happen. Miracles can happen. Sudden healing can happen. Those like epiphanies, breakthroughs, realizations can happen very, very quickly. So it is absolutely like a psychedelic experience. Um, but sober, no throwing up, no purging, and it's only 45 minutes. Yeah. You can, you can do it without pooping your pants. Yeah. Bonus. (laughs) Bonus. (laughs) Um, I, this is kind of a, just an off the cuff converse or a question. I, sometimes I feel like I have to like really move my body. Like I have to get up and freaking move. And I just, I'm like, there's gotta be something like stuck in here that just needs to get out. And I, like, I have to like physically move my body to get it out. Is that like a normal thing? Yeah. I mean, I think I talk about in the course that there's two different types of movement. There's the movement that you do to facilitate and to enable any energy that wants to move to move along and to move out. Um, And then there's also the movement that you do when you're actually trying to get away from something. So Mm. only you really know what what that experience is in your body. So I would say... Um, you probably don't want to get up because that's going to kind of break the, break the, the vibe, um, or like break the consciousness, um, because you're, you're kind of, you're disturbing the force maybe a little bit too much, but I would say, you know, anything like arching your back or, you know, bringing your knees into your chest or moving your head from side to side or stretching your mouth wide open or lifting your arms up to the ceiling, anything that feels like it's going to facilitate movement and expression of something in your body is going to be good. Um, are you like getting up and dancing or shaking or jumping or what's your, what do you do when you get up? Never mind. (laughs) Never you mind. <laughs> okay. Conf- it's confidential. Is, it's okay. weird. All, all of the things that you just said. It gets weird. It gets weird in yeah. my little office. I um, love that you let yeah, yourself like, get oh. weird. I love it. I mean, I would say probably see if you can do it while you're laying down just to see okay. if, if it might keep the experience a little bit more contained because there's something about standing up that I feel like almost gets you... I'm envisioning myself standing up and that might get me a little bit more into my brain of like thinking about standing up and what I'm going to do. But only, again, you are the only one that knows what kind of space you're in when you're doing that. So okay. do what, do what feels good. And if it, cool. if that's your natural inclination to like get up every time, sometimes, um, you know, I always, uh, I, I put my feet flat on the floor for some of the session because it helps me get the breath more easily into my pelvis. My, my belly feels a little tight when I have my legs straight out. And so playing around with not doing the thing you usually do that feels comfortable and right can get you into some deeper spaces sometimes too. So you want to switch it up and like, see what happens if you just stay still. That's a good metaphor for life too. Yeah. Trying things you don't normally try. Um, All right. I have one last question for you. Um, It's based on what we talked about last week. you had brought up the thyroid and I do a lot of work with thyroid clients in my practice and most people suffering with thyroid disease are women. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned 
thyroid, you had mentioned teeth grinding, you had mentioned T TMJ, and also how all of these things are really more common in women. And before, um, before I say anything else, I, I think some people can get a little squirrely or a little aggro when you start talking about the energetics of illness because yeah. what some people hear is I caused this, this is my fault. And I want to be clear that that is not what I'm saying. Yes. But emotions and stress and trauma do have a physiological cascade in the body. And I think to ignore that fact actually does us a lot of disservice. And I don't I don't see it as a reason to blame or to use your terminology to self-flagellate, but instead it's an opportunity for healing. Um, it's just like another stone to unturn is like looking at what's going on here on an energetic level. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about why you think these conditions are so prevalent in women. Um, what it has to do with our self-expression. I really like that you preface that with um, being mindful of the idea of energetics and illness in the body not being something that someone manifested. I think that that can be a very um, cruel interpretation of why something has occurred in your body. You know, um, so I appreciate the consideration and the compassion with that and. You know, just like if we take something as simple as um, uh, you get scared, you know, maybe it's Halloween and your daughter jumps out from behind a door and you're really um, not expecting it and you're, you're, you get frightened, you know, so your body has an automatic cascade of adrenaline and cortisol and maybe your, you know, your blood starts moving to your extremities and your your pupils narrow and you, you kind of shift into a ready for action kind of physical experience. Um, you know, I, I think that our, our, our body is responsive. So it's, it's not that like we did a bad thing. And so there's, this is the result of it. It's just that our body responds to what's going on in it. Um, and that manifests differently for everybody in a way that is perfectly designed to get their attention and to bring focus and healing to whatever has, has, um, come up for them. So I think for, um, and as I said, in the session, I was really inspired to, you know, by my own journey with expression and by this, um, woman, Eileen in this biofield tuning session where she had mentioned that Synthroid was the number one prescribed medication in the U S and I think it's now maybe like two or three because opioids are of course the number one. Mm. Um, but that, you know, it inspired opioids, me. Opioids, statins, and then and thyroid. Then, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So where we are medicated as a culture indicates where we are, where we have illness, where we have repair work to do as a, as a culture. And of course, opioid, opioids being the number one is kind of an obvious one that we're all avoiding pain. Um, and we have a lot of great ways to numb it out. But for for women specifically in the throat, I mean, I think what's just interesting or interesting isn't the right word. If you think about our the history of being a woman, women couldn't even the year I was born, 1974, a woman couldn't even open up her own checking account until 1974. She needed to have a, you know, a father, or brother, or husband um, to hold her money for her. And so you think about the not so recent future where women have been treated as um, slaves, as property, as um, you know, that they have been 
you know, raped and tortured and ostracized and outcast and killed and um, hurt and degraded and all of all of these, you know, for thousands of years, we have a history embedded in our DNA, embedded in our bodies of not having a voice, of not having power, of not having ownership over our own bodies, our money, our lives, um, you know, not having any escape routes. Like you think of even just like one generation back, if you were volatile and angry, if you were growing up as like a housewife in the fifties, you could very easily been strapped to a bed and sent off to an insane asylum been involuntarily committed because you had feelings because you were hysterical and so we have that embedded encoded in ourselves even if we're in this generation of of um you know supposed freedom you know not all of us are free but there is a there's an idea that we're free that we're free to act we're free to do we're free to choose um, and we see still the echoes of it in our political system of not being able to have a right to decide what to do with our bodies or get the, you know, the care that we need or the um, reproductive health, you know, contraception that we need. So the whole history is really important, I think, around women and their expression and a reason why their throat would get blocked. So all of us are coming into life with that already. And then you have a variety of strangers saying to you things like, don't cry, stop crying, stop expressing yourself. Don't feel that your emotions make me uncomfortable. That's like the subtext of, of the, of that conversation of that, of that, um, bristling when you are feeling sad, you know, good girls don't talk back, you know, that we have a generation of people pleasers of people that have like been, um, who have shrunken and been contracted and taken up less and less space because to take up space and to speak up and to say that you have needs can be dangerous. You know, you might get rejected. You might get kicked out of the family. You might, someone might want to divorce you. Someone might want to break up with you. You're going to lose love. You're going to lose the safety and the comfort of the community that you're in or the family that you're in. So there's a bazillion reasons why women are scared to speak and use their voices that go back through our family lineage that go back through the culture and the history of women in general and that are front and center and things that happen to us every day in our lives in our workplaces um, in the way that we're treated by the people in our family the people around us by the culture by you know everything so the throat is is a place where we can close. It's a place where we can choose to close off our voice and constrict our voice for safety's sake. And when you close off your voice, you know, we, we all have songs to sing. We have books to write. We have feelings to feel. We have honesty. We have truth. We have vulnerability. We have intimacy in our throat. We have conversations that we need to have with ourselves, with other people that indicate respect and love for ourselves and our experiences in this life. And if we don't feel safe to do that, if we don't feel safe to speak up, if we feel like we will be rejected or denied or receive anger or violence or anything, when we use our voice, we will be more likely to just keep it shut. And anywhere there is stuck energy, 
Anywhere where there's no flow, there's pain. And anywhere where there's no flow, things can start to get a little, they can mutate, cells can mutate, um, things can start to go awry when things aren't moving. And that's for any area of the body. But for women, the throat can be a very strong place of shutdown. And to be able to have this beautiful, um, you may have seen it in the Sacred Train Facebook group, uh, like a, a friend slash um, student. She had been on uh, Synthroid for, I think, 20 years or something like that. And when she started doing breath work, she was able to lower her dosage and lower it and lower it. And she's actually going off of it. And that was kind of coupled with the recognition of her being in a, in a, a relationship where she felt silenced, where she felt abused, where she felt like her thoughts and feelings were not respected, listened to, or heard. And through her process of like reclaiming her power, reclaiming, reclaiming her voice and, and leaving this relationship, she has been able to get off of this medication because she is fully expressing she's creating she's writing poetry she's she's using her voice in circles she's she's speaking up in public you know she's sharing more of herself and that freedom of the energy that's moving through her throat um it's moving some of the um it's it's clearing it's clearing some of the disease and dysfunction that was created by the lack of movement of energy there and it's a pretty incredible thing to see that is absolutely incredible. I have somebody very close to me that experienced something quite similar, not thyroid, but Lyme disease and leaving, essentially blowing up her life as she knew it, leaving a relationship and just seeing such physical healing after being like bedridden yeah. in a wheelchair. It's just, it's wow. just so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's not to say that we manifest these things or we bring disease into our body consciously, but our life experiences and our subconscious beliefs absolutely inform our biology. It's, yes. It just happens. Um, well, this has been awesome, Erin. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show and for sharing some of your um, wisdom with us. I'd love Thank for you. you to tell everybody where they can find you, um, how to get in contact with you. Uh, you do. I just want to tell everybody that if you guys have been like listening to us talk about breath work and be like, what is going on? What are you talking <laughs> about? Erin does have a seven minute. It, it's like kind of like the gateway drug, a seven minute uh, breath work on her website that's available for free. And I'll put that link to the show notes so you guys can try it out from the comfort of your own home. But Erin, where else can people find you? You know, it's funny. I just realized that you did ask me about breathwork and I don't think I ever actually described it. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we kind of got steered away from that answer. Um, so yes, uh, first, it was an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And I hope that this um, conversation is beneficial and inspiring and interesting for your audience. I really thank you so much for having me on. It's been just so lovely to talk to you. So thank you, Erin. And um, everyone can find me on my website, erintelfer.com. Um, I have, yeah, all of my events are there, sacred terrain that we're talking about. There is a, a um, to be informed uh, mailing list there. So I'll be opening that up next spring, 2020. And if you are curious and want to sign up and be the first one to know about that, you can just sign up for that on my website. And other than that, I'm on Instagram at Aaron Telford underscore underscore, which is a very favorite place to hang out and share just little bits and pieces of what I'm thinking and moving through. So those are the two, yeah, two main places you can find me. Oh, awesome. And I highly recommend checking out Sacred Terrain when it is 
available in the spring because it's been a game changer for me. No, no exaggeration. It's been really, really pretty incredible. Thank you so much, Erin. That's well, so beautiful thank you. to hear. Thank, thank you. you very much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you. 